Hello and welcome to episode four of the Irish Home Show. Each episode in this season, we are taking you through every stage in your house buying journey. So far, we've covered savings and mortgages. This week, I'm going to go into more detail about the mortgage application process and take you through our mortgage application checklist, everything you need to prepare before you submit your application. After that, I have a fantastic interview with Alan Purcell from Cloud Accounts. Alan is going to be talking us through something that's probably quite important for about 50% of Irish home buyers out there, the bank of mum and dad. About half of Irish home buyers are fortunate enough to have help with buying a house from family or friends or extended family. For those fortunate few who have parents that are able to help out, it is a lifeline to put a deposit together or be able to get a mortgage and get a place of their own. With house prices so high, it's almost become impossible to buy without some help from family and friends. Alan is going to be talking us through the various implications for tax and personal finance from getting a gift from family for both you and them, and a clever trick of how you can take money from them tax-free without affecting your lifetime limits. Alan, as an accountant, is also very helpful in talking us through what you might need to put together for your mortgage application if you're perhaps self-employed. And finally, we're going to cover any other taxes that are involved in the house buying or the house owning process. Thanks for tuning in to the Irish Home Show so far. I'm Ben Thompson, your host. I'm a friendly estate agent, and I am here to help you in every stage in your journey. You can either go online to my website at irishhome.ie, where you can find all our information and guides. You can buy the Irish Home Buyers Journal. You can also find us at Irish Home Magazine on most social media, particularly Instagram, where you'll find more of our tips, up-to-date guides, and latest news. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the second part of our Mortgages and Finance Explainer section. Last week, we talked through the process of applying for a mortgage, whether through a bank or a broker, and how to get yourself mortgage ready so you can get your perfect application in. This week, I'm going to delve into a bit more detail about the mortgage application process and talk you through our mortgage checklist that you'll find in the Irish Home Buyers Journal. If you haven't got a copy of this already, you can get one from our website. If you want to follow along at home, it's on page 22 of the New Irish Journal. But also, you can download a free worksheet from our website. Just go to irishhome.ie forward slash free. When applying for a mortgage, whether it's with a bank or a broker, they're going to ask for a bunch of information, documents and materials. They're really looking at three areas. One, who you are. Two, how much do you earn. And three, how much do you spend? As we detailed last week, the banks are trying to see how much you can afford to pay, how much you're earning and how much you're spending at the moment, and just to see if you can afford the mortgage repayments. Are you going to be a good mortgage holder with them and repay them regularly every month for the next 20 or 30 years? The first few items of documentation the bank are going to ask from you should be really simple. Firstly, they're going to want to know who you are. And this normally requires three things. One, proof of ID. This is so they can affix the exact name and person you are. This could be a passport typically, or it could be a driving license or any other sort of official card. Second, proof of address. As with applying for anything official, 
They're going to need to see where you live at the moment. This is going to probably help them track your credit score as well. So you need to give them a current proof of address. If you're living somewhere renting already, you should probably have bills for utilities, etc. If you're living at home still, well, I'd hope you'd have a bank statement or something like that which should have your address on it. Something official from a proper company. The third thing is proof of your PPS number. They're going to want to see your PPS number so that they know that you are an able-to-be-employed-or-readily-employed person in the state. If you're from abroad, they may need to see a work visa as well to show that you are allowed to work here and for how long. The best thing for your PPS number is usually a payslip. It usually has it printed on there. Part 2. Proving what you earn. The most straightforward way to show what you earn is to be providing payslips. They may ask for the most recent three to six months of payslips from your current employer. The second thing they'll need to see to prove your annual income is an EDS, an Employment Detail Summary. This used to be called the P60. It's now EDS, and you'll find it if you're registered with Revenue.ie. You'll be able to download it from there. If you're just PAYE with your company, you may have to ask Payroll HR to find it for you. This is a detailed summary of your total income for the whole year and your various tax bans and allowances. This is probably more useful to them than the payslip, which perhaps if you're seasonal or bonus-based and you have up and down in your income month by month, this allows them to see the total annual take-home pay. If you're self-employed, you're going to have to overcome a different standard of documentation for the bank. You will need two years of tax returns. This is the Form 11. This shows everything that you've claimed that you earned in the last year, minus your expenses. You will need an up-to-date tax clearance cert. This is a statement from Revenue saying you have paid all your taxes, you don't have any outstanding or owing. Finally, they may ask you for six months of accounts from your business account as well. We'll talk more about this with Alan Purcell in the interview after this section. So they've asked for who you are, how much you earn, now for the tricky bit, how much you spend. The next couple of items they're going to ask you. Your bank or broker will require between three and six months of your most recent bank statements. This is just purely printed out in full so they can see everything you spent money on, warts and all. So you'll need to give them the bank statements for your main account where you're paid your income into. You'll also need to show them any bank statements for any other accounts you hold. So that might be a second savings account with your bank. It may be a savings account with a different bank. It might be a Revolut or other neo bank account. Uh, it may also need to see your credit union savings account as well. Now, what are the bank looking for when they're looking at your bank statements? Well, first things first, they're going to be cross-referencing your income to see that it matches your payslips or your EDS form that you've provided already, just to see that you are getting paid what those say you're getting paid, and it adds up on a net yearly basis. But secondly, and this is the scary part, they are also going to be looking to see what your outgoings are. They're going to look at your rent payments, they're going to look at your bills, your utilities, uh, any uh, credit card payments, any repayments of car loans or credit union loans. Uh, they will look for childcare fees and they're going to be trying to build up a picture of what's your income on one side and what are your outgoings on the other side. We've covered this in previous episodes. Go back and listen to those. They want to see that your total income minus your total expenses leaves enough for you to pay the mortgage. So if you're earning €4,000 a month net, but you have you know, three and a half thousand going out on all your expenses, it doesn't look like you'll be able to pay enough for a typical mortgage. Now, be aware they will take into account rent. So if you're paying 2,000 a month in rent, they can understand that you're not gonna continue to pay that anymore once you buy the house. And so that 2,000 would be a direct correlation to what you can pay on the mortgage. So don't worry about that. Equally, savings, if you're saving thousand euros in a savings account and you're paying a thousand euros on rent again there's two thousand euros there they know you have the repayment capacity to afford payment on those it is worrying when you hand over months and months of statements to the bank and you can pray and hope that they don't look through all the fine detail but i promise you they do uh, don't be afraid but get yourself prepared that's why we've said in previous episodes and we go through in the journal and in our teachings, spend the six months leading up to your mortgage application getting your house in order. Cut back on unnecessary expenses, pay off any debt that you can clear and don't 
uh, undertake any nefarious uh, activities such as gambling, Bitcoin buying, or anything else like that that looks excessive and that would worry a bank. Finally, one last detail for all those self-builders out there. You're applying for a mortgage, you're going to need to go through the same steps as any other buyer, but you'll need a few extra items of material. Firstly, you're going to have to show planning permission and an OSI map of the property that you are looking to get a mortgage on. Secondly, you're going to have to have a full set of costed plans from an architect or QS. And thirdly, they'll want to see your architect or your expert's details uh, information. Most self-builders will probably already own the land or have bought the land without getting the mortgage. It's very hard to get a mortgage to buy a plain plot of land that you're hoping to build on. So hopefully you've done that stage already and you're looking for the mortgage to help pay for the construction costs. That's it for our mortgage application checklist. That's your last step in getting yourself ready to go to a mortgage broker or to your bank to apply for your loan. Go look at the Irish Home Buyers Journal there and you'll find a, uh, a free downloadable copy of that at irishhome.ie forward slash free. Uh, work your way through that checklist. It may take you a few weeks to request payslips or EDS statements from your employer. Uh, you may need to go through and print out bank statements from your computer or from your phone. Uh, you may need to request certain things like tax certs from revenue. Take your time, sit down and work methodically through this list. But above all, as my advice last week, go to a broker and engage their services early on. And they will have their own list. This is a rough overall list. Some will come to you and say, look, that particular bank needs a particular thing that isn't here. Go to a broker early, six months early if you can. They will help you get prepared and get everything in order so that you can make your best application. Now, coming up next, we speak to Alan Purcell from Cloud Accounts. The Irish Home Show is brought to you by Irish Home Magazine. We're your online magazine for Irish homes and property news and information. You can find us online at irishhome.ie. There you'll find all our extra information around this show. In this episode, we're talking mortgages, and we have a great mortgage application checklist you can download for free over at our website. Just visit irishhome.ie forward slash free to get some of our free resources. You can also go there and buy the Irish Home Buyers Journal. There's a special discount for show subscribers. Just use the code SHOW, S-H-O-W. Today on the podcast, I have Alan Purcell from Cloud Accounts. He is a chartered CTA, a tax advisor. Uh, Alan, how are you? Hey, good, Ben. How are you doing? Um, I wanted to bring you on because, as you know, we have been going through, uh, in the first season of the Irish Home Show, we are talking about the house buying process, uh, mainly for first-time buyers, although it, you know, it will be applicable for everyone. We've talked through savings, and last week we were talking about mortgages with Martina Hennessy. Uh, this week, I wanted to bring up a topic. Actually, you mm -hmm. mentioned it to me uh, online i thought actually that's something we really need to cover uh the the number of people who are buying houses with help from family and friends with the so-called bank of mum and dad is extraordinary i think last year alone it was around 40 or 50 percent of buyers needed to have some help from parents and there are some you know considerations involved in getting money as gifts from friends and family uh, and it may be tax efficient to do it in certain ways so mm -hmm. you you thought we should have a chat about this and i appreciate you coming on um is it common? Is it something you deal with a lot, you know, talking to people and advising people on lending money to family? Yeah, it's huge. And uh, we touched on it just before coming on here that, you know, we both know so many people who found themselves in exactly that situation where they needed to go to the bank of mum and dad. I mean, nobody likes having to do it, but unfortunately, the way house prices are going, it's only one way. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it's a fortunate position to be in. Completely appreciate that not everybody has this luxury. Uh, you know, you're a parent, I'm a parent. Um, thankfully, this conversation is probably a long way down the line for us. But, um, you know, you only want to do the best you can, help your kids out, get them onto that property ladder, I suppose. And yeah, look, n not everybody will be able to do it. Not everyone wants to go to their parents and beg, borrow or steal. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, it's just the, the times we live in and anyone who is lucky enough to have that available to them, there's a few kind of clever ways that you can structure some of these borrowings or gifts or whatever, you know, way it's going, the, the, the money is going to transfer from the parent to the child that might just help you not have a future tax bill or anything owing to revenue and 
all of these are completely above board and legal. There's nothing uh, strange going on here. It's just about having the knowledge uh, and applying it in a certain way. And then, you know, you, you might be leaving yourself uh, with less taxes to pay in the long run, which is always a good thing, I guess. Right, you know, I, I, I was fortunate we wouldn't have been able to buy what we did without family help. I think most of the younger buyers who come through my office almost always have some family help in one way or another. As I said, it's very hard to buy in this market. A lot of parents of our generation, people in their 30s, their parents probably do have quite a lot of equity in their house. Uh, they were the ones who bought in the 70s or 80s, uh, and they're quite fortunate. So they do like to pass it down. Unfortunately, it's a great inequ inequity that, you know, probably half of the population population are lucky enough to have a parent who can and there's another half who can't so it is a challenge anyone who is uh, doing it on their own i have huge respect for and don't anyone that doesn't have you know uh, the help but you, you you're coming at it you think it would be the most natural thing in the world why why can't you know for all of our lives our parents have been have been you know helping us out with money and and no no more than like the present i think everyone is sort of always looking for help from their parents um why is it that it's not just a naturalist thing that they can just give me money why is the tax man got to get involved? Yeah, it's and it's a contentious one for a lot of people because the way people kind of think of it is that my parents, they've worked hard, they have generated income, they've paid income tax, PAYE, the whole way along. Yeah. So this money has already been taxed. And now when they try to pass it on to the next person, uh, to their child, the tax man has a look at it and says, well, you know, we might want to take a piece of that as well. I suppose the counter argument to that is, <laughs> and I'm not sticking up for the revenue here at all, is that... Revenue are probably deeming it to be income yes. that's not yeah. being earned by the child. It's just been handed over. Um, now, with that in mind, they have thresholds that exist that certain amounts, uh, certain values can transfer from people to other people. Uh, there's categories, and we'll touch on that in a minute. So it's not necessarily always parent to child. There are other relationships that come into the fold as well. But yeah, as I say, it's just it's contentious. It's been taxed once. So you would think in an ideal world that money has, the tax has been paid in it, it's free to go. Very hard to to, um, to avoid it, which is the, the whole um, name of the game. But I suppose, yeah, look, the, there's three categories uh, really been that apply and need to be kind of considered for this. So with gift tax or capital acquisitions tax, same thing, different names, there are three categories. You've got category a, B, and C, and they're literally called A, B, and C. Uh, I'm not just making these up. Uh, a, is a parent to a child. B is pretty much a blood relative. So uncle. you're talking siblings, grandparents, yeah. uh, aunt and uncle, that kind of thing. Yeah. And C is what they call not A and B. So pretty much strangers. So you and I, I guess, will be category C. Um, and then there's different thresholds that apply to those categories. So these are all what are called lifetime uh, limits or lifetime thresholds. So category A is 335,000 euro. And that's not 335,000 yeah. euro per parent. Unfortunately, it's 335 grand cumulative from both parents. Um, and that's whether it's a gift or whether it's an inheritance that you take from them, uh, you know, when, when they pass. Or... Yeah, this is something I, I actually only realized recently. So say if you're, you're, your family have been very generous during your, your lifetime and, and given, given you, you know, money to help you buy a house or et cetera, um, you know, when unfortunately one or both of them pass away, um, that uh, 335,000 mm euros is a lifetime cap so you, you may have gone over it in it during their life or you may be close to it and then if in their passing you inherit their estate maybe, maybe it's a you know it could be a four-bed suburban house in in south dublin where where i'm based and you'll be well over the limit between you know two two siblings um you're going to blow right through that tax threshold yeah. so it's not just what they give you during sort of their lifetime it's also the uh, when they pass away, unfortunately, what is coming through the program. Exactly, yeah. And look, I've heard of, you know, parents that have given gifts to their children to pay for the wedding or a whole host of other things in between. Yeah. And technically speaking, that's also a gift. And that in the tax man's eyes is probably taxable income. So um, it, it, it's it's a kind of a, it's, just a, it's a hard one. And as I say, that threshold of 335 grand, you, you mightn't be in a position to say, take a gift of that in cash from your parents to uh, to purchase a home. Some people will, obviously, most people won't. Uh, but then, as you say, if you were to inherit a four bedroom home and, you know, family sizes are getting smaller and smaller. Previously, where you had eight mm. siblings in a family and the house wasn't as valuable because it was older times, then yeah. this wasn't an issue. Yeah. But now you could easily blitz through 335 grand on the inheritance of a property. Mm. And what you end up having there is the property usually having to be sold, uh, especially if there's four siblings or something or two siblings 
who can't decide what to do with it, um, sell it and pay the CAT and away you go. So, yeah, it's an awkward one. But then I suppose, you know, that 335,000 threshold, you might be thinking is not very high. But when you come down to the next category, it's only 32,500 category B from blood relatives. So again, if you had a grandparent who, or an uncle or an aunt that you get on very well with and that, you know, they say, I want to help out uh, little Johnny or little Mary and try and get onto this property Mm. ladder, 32 and a half grand is quickly going to be blitzed through um, or run through, particularly if you had four grandparents who wanted to help you out. That's now 8,000 each, you know, doing simple math. Um, So it quickly, quickly can go. And again, that will be on an inheritance or a gift. And then when you come down to category C, which is strangers, it's uh, 16,250. Now, I don't know too many strangers who are going to give me 16 grand <laughs> but it's just uh, it, it's just one of those things and it, as i say it is lifetime it's cumulative and it can once the the threshold has been exhausted that's it you're now on the hook at the cat or gift tax rate or inheritance tax rate of 33 percent. so that's high um i think that's known that it's high and then the other thing to be kind of almost thinking about or concerned about is that the tax commission recently have been suggesting that that 335,000 category A threshold should actually be reduced, which uh, I yeah. saw that that was in the news last week. Yeah. yeah. How do you, how do we go lower, particularly when house prices are only, um, only growing? Exactly. It seems opposite to, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know. I understand. I understand. You know, they are using it as a tax. They do sort of claim it as uh, unearned income and, and it is important to you know, inheritance taxes are important for, for the state to, to function, I guess. But, um, no, it is extremely tough. As you say, if it's a, a family where there's just two siblings and they sell a, a you know, even a modest sort of Dublin hmm. home, you're going to be well over that limit. So, so just to recap now, just for now, thinking of our first-time buyers, so they could take a gift from their parents up to, you know, most aren't going to get the full value of the house. So yeah. a reasonable amount, so say it's 40,000 euros for deposit. That's okay for the parents to gift to their kids yeah. directly. Yeah. But if it was a, an aunt or a sibling, uh, the limit would be 30... 32,500. Yeah, 32,500. But classic accountant tax advisor here, I'm going to put a big asterisk beside that and say there is... Another thing to consider, uh, which is called a small gift exemption. So I recently touched about this on Instagram, and this is the mechanism or the scheme. And again, fully above board. Tax avoidance, yeah, not exactly. evasion. I would say it's... yeah, evasion is illegal. Okay, no, this, yeah, you, you said this to me, and I had to, I had to message you. You put this up the other night, and I had a message. You go, is that is that true? That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, this is a clever kind of a little trick. You know, it's in small amounts. But tell me, tell me how this. Yeah, works. so basically, small gift exemption, uh, and it is small. It's three thousand euro. Uh, but what it does is it means that anybody in Ireland can receive a gift of up to three thousand euro from anybody in a year. So I can give you, and I'm not going to, but I could, uh, 3,000 euro. And there is no declaration to be made to revenue. There is no tax to be paid on that 3,000. It is yours to do what you will with. So if you start kind of putting the wheels in motion or start thinking about this, if you have uh, a partner that you're gonna buy a property with, and if the two of you still have both parents um, around, and if you have, if those parents have the resources or the capital behind them to do this, each of those four parents could give each of the two uh, children, I guess, 3,000 each. So you've got 3,000, 3,000, 3,000, 3,000, uh, which is 12,000 times two because there's two uh, children. So you're now at 24,000 euro, which could be passed across with absolutely no tax uh, being charged on it whatsoever. And that doesn't affect your lifetime inheritance limit of it doesn't. So when I was saying about the category C threshold, 16,250, uh, that I could give you 16,250, Ben, and provided nobody, no other stranger has ever given you anything before, you could uh, not pay tax on that. I can actually give you 19,250 by adding in the 3,000 euro small gift exemption. And then, yeah, you, you don't have to do any or make any capital acquisition or gift tax payment on that. And what's really good, I suppose, looking at the, the calendar uh, or, or where we're at now, we're approaching the end of the year. So if anybody was actually looking to borrow from the bank of mum and dad in the coming months, and we all know how long it takes to buy a house in Ireland. I mean, personally speaking, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure me and my wife went sale agreed on our house around Halloween, whenever we, just before we bought it. Yeah. 
Um, and I think it took six or seven months from then because it was around her birthday. We went to Agreed around mine that we bought the thing. It takes forever, as you probably know. Um, <laughs> I do, I do. You see it all the time. Yeah. So basically, if, mm, yeah, if again, and I appreciate this doesn't apply to everybody because it's a lot of money, but if the potential was there to borrow these sums from the bank of mum and dad, and if you were to do it now or before the 31st of December, there's 24 grand on the table that can be taken from those uh, parents without paying any tax. You could then do it again from the 1st of January and take another 24,000. So you're now at 48 grand within the space of a couple of weeks or months, provided you straddle the end of the year. And not yeah. one cent of that 48 grand will go to revenue. It goes directly to the kids and then on to obviously whoever is selling the house. <laughs> no, that's incredible. You know, 48,000, that's a sizable, well, that's it's a deposit. probably more than the average deposit. It's a very good, healthy deposit and, and your purchasing costs yeah. uh, in buying a decent sized Dublin house. Um, so that, that's incredible. So that could be, maybe it's not from your parents, but maybe it's from an uncle or a grandparent or a couple of elder siblings, perhaps, who just can chip in and give you give you three grand yeah. each um, over the course of two months. You know they can do it twice, and you can get forty eight thousand tax yeah. free. That's a that's a neat little trick. I like. That. Yeah, and like I go with the forty eight thousand because it's just the four parents to the two kids, uh, and you get to twelve thousand times two times two. Basically, it gets you forty eight thousand. But as you say, it could be a combination of a sibling, a grandparent, an aunt, and a parent, or whatever. So it's 3,000 per person, do the maths, figure out how many people you can tap for three grand, and, and go after them. <laughs> but what I would say, because you might get some really smart people listening to this who say, right, why don't I just get mom to give me three grand, and then get mom to give my brother three grand, who my brother then gives me the three grand. That's what I was going to say next. That yeah. is not allowed, um, unfortunately. Right. And people will say, well, how will they know? Revenue always know. Uh, they, they. You scare me when yeah. you say that to me today. Yeah, that. that. <laughs> they have weird ways of looking over my shoulder. Yeah, they have yeah. weird ways of working. I don't know how they work, but they, they, they know. Um, and in fairness, like you know, there's going to in this day and age, there's going to be electronic records. This is going to be done by bank transfer. No one is withdrawing yeah. three grand, Absolutely. handing it over. We've moved on from those days. So. Yeah, the, the the clever scheme would be yeah, mom to sibling, sibling to you, but not allowed. Mm. Uh, so mm. don't try that one. But anybody else who has their own three grands, go after them. Great. No, that's fascinating. Okay, so so we can get a gift from our parents directly, mm -hmm. and that would probably be the normal route for most people. Uh, if that's not possible, then you can do this uh, three grand small gift limit uh, as a, another alternative um, from either friends and family yeah. or for, you know indirect uh, family. Oh, yeah and what i'd just say as well on the parents say if the parents were like look we've got 50 grand we want to give this to you try and schedule it so that you're taking you know mom gives you three grand mom gives the partner three grand dad gives you three grand dad gives the partner three grand and do that again in january or february just so that you're protecting your long-term lifetime limit that three hundred and thirty-five thousand threshold uh, that i mentioned before because that 50,000 amount, mom and dad can give you that tomorrow uh, and you won't pay any tax on it, but it gets subtracted from your 335,000 lifetime threshold that you can receive from your parents. So that would reduce it to 285 in that example. And then in the future, you know, all likelihood, unfortunately on their passing, you might inherit the house. And now only 285 grand of the value of the house that you inherit is tax-free and you start paying tax on the rest. So by, you know, thinking about this now- it's Yeah, that's worth, yeah, you, you can sort of be flippant when they're maybe sort of young and healthy and still alive and think, oh, look, that's a long way away. And, you know, I will worry about that then. But actually, you know, it is lifetime limit. Uh, the clue is in the name. You've really got to think about it because there's no there's no backseas. I guess you can't change that once you've taken gifts off them during their lifetime. Um, that's all going to add up over over the long exactly. term, over your lifetime and not they're not going to change it. So, no, that's worth thinking. Yeah. And coming back to what we, we started mentioning, you know, we both have kids. Um, it's something actually for people should be considering, perhaps parents should be uh, on a regular basis gifting this three grand to their kids and to their you know their grandkids and to their kids partners and things like that and if they can set that up over a long term as you said yeah. maybe it's to fund a wedding and then maybe it's to fund a house and then maybe it's to support the, the grandkids and things like that you know it's not a bad idea as a as a recommendation from an accountant if they yeah. can provide that every year you know keep putting that three thousand into a, a long-term savings account um, yeah, for them. And look, again, appreciate not everybody is going to be in a position to do that. It's going to be the very few. But if you did have the money um, and if you could afford to do it, if you put that 3000 into a bank account in the kid's name, you know, you could get that to a sizable chunk by the time they're 
18, 21, whatever. Um, and hopefully at that stage, they'll use it for something sensible uh, and not go to Vegas, put it on black <laughs> or whatever. Um, but, you know, another method of doing that might be even, again, if it's affordable, put the child benefit into a fund um, if you don't rely on it. Yeah. And again, it's yeah. three grand a year. Make sure you're using the three grand a year small gift exemption uh, to your favor because it's there for everybody. Now, one last thing I wanted to ask you, Alan, is sometimes you hear about people not just gifting money, but also actually formally signing a loan mm. uh, with their parents. Uh, why do people do that and how does that work? This came up recently, I think in the last year or so, that the Department of Finance were saying there should be um, interest charged on loans provided to by parents to children, maybe to purchase a house, and that there'd be a tax implication on that. And there was absolute uproar because again, you know, we all know the, the the money needed is to buy a house is just substantial. And I think somebody sat down and did the maths and they realized that the tax revenue that would be generated from this was so small that it wouldn't be worth going after. Uh, it would just cause so much paperwork, confusion and uproar. And eventually it got canned because again, this small gift exemption came into play that people were saying, well, it, yeah, if, if the parent loans them even a hundred grand, then they charge 1% interest on that that's 10 grand. If you start taking off the small gift exemption from the two parents, that's 6,000. That brings it down to four. But if there's two people in, in play here, that's actually 12,000 of a small gift exemption. So there's nothing to see. So again, paperwork, okay. compliance, and it was just messy. So it got scrapped. So thankfully that's gone, but I suppose interest rates are rising. So if there was a loan put in place now, you'd probably be expected to benchmark that against what's available on the market. And that's only getting more expensive. So yeah, it's a bit of a, a minefield, but hopefully it's one that will just be kind of ignored for now. So it's probably something that people shouldn't need to consider. You know, just take a straight uh, gift from your parents or family. Easy, yeah. Don't worry about interest rates. We we touched on inheritance there. And if, if someone inherits a house off the family, you know, they will quickly go over their limit if it's a, a sizable house. Mm. But what happens if, say, one of the kids have been living in the house for you know the duration of their life or for the last couple of years, perhaps are there looking after mum or dad in their, in their later years? Uh, is that not something that they can you know avoid getting a big tax bill, possibly having to force to be sell the house because of it? Yeah, there is. It's a very specific uh, tax relief. It's called dwelling house relief to give it its formal title and it's not going to again apply to everybody but if it does apply it's very worthwhile uh, taking advantage of because you could inherit a house completely tax-free so um, how it works is the person receiving the inheritance cannot have an interest in any other home and then they have to be living in the house for the three years prior to the inheritance and then they would need to keep it as their main home for the six years post the inheritance so there's a sizable chunk of time here but there's a lot of rules, lot of rules yeah, yeah okay, and it, that's why it won't apply yeah. to everybody but where this would particularly no. would apply would be maybe you might have an only child uh, who's looking after an elderly parent and or another example could be yeah you might have maybe one or two siblings one of whom is set up they're on the ladder they've done well for themselves or whatever it might be the circumstance and the other person may have stayed at home to look after a parent or just didn't have the opportunity to move out of home and you know, if they get the sibling on board and say, look, there's a way around this, we'll talk about money later on, or I can, you know, I can give you three grand a year tax free for the rest of your life or whatever, um, right, as a reward, yeah, yeah. then you should be looking at this. It's very morbid. I know a couple of people who are kind of in this situation and I'm with my tax hat on going, thinking to myself, I really should tell them, you know, don't move out, stay where you are, because you could save yourself an absolute fortune, particularly when we go back to that group A threshold, 335 grand. If you inherited a house in Black Rock that's worth one and a half million, two million, whatever, uh, and you're the only person living there, you've lived there for three years and you keep it for six years after, again, not one cent goes to revenue and yeah, why would you leave? Not to encourage people to stay just for that reason. No, but it's probably happening more and more often as you know, people in their in their thirties are still staying at home these days. More, more and more common. Um, it's and and parents are getting older. Yeah. Um, they probably are, you know, getting into their twilight years, and maybe the you know the the thirty something year old should stay on and, and stay in the house. Yeah. It might be worthwhile if it's only a few years. And it, it, this is just called tax planning, and it's just you know knowing the rules. Um, and there, look, there's millions of rules when it comes to tax in Ireland, and you could never know them all, but knowing these small little that's why there's people like yeah, yeah well i just want to get that information out there to be honest with you because <laughs> you know if somebody leaves that house with a month to go and then realizes oh geez i could have actually avoided paying um you know 
hundreds of thousands of, of inheritance tax there, then happy days. Let's try and help people find that out. So, Adam, one other thing that comes up quite a lot, uh, we were talking about mortgages last week. I'm finding more and more people are uh, self-employed these days, whether they've started their own business or perhaps they have a side business that's earning them some money. Uh, there is a, a different stage. Here. There's a different set of stages to go through as a self-employed person or someone with side income uh, when applying for a mortgage. I know you're not a mortgage advisor, but yeah. as a tax accountant, um, you, you help people prepare this. What is the extra steps needed for someone who is looking to get a mortgage but uh, have to declare their own income yeah I get asked this a lot by clients can you provide me with x y and z my broker is looking for it so usually what uh what the banks or what the brokers are looking for there would be tax clearance for a start just to make sure that you're up to date with revenue nothing's owing nothing's outstanding to them um and you should be able to get that tax clearance cert from your uh, your revenue ROS account or get your accountant to print it out for you and nice straightforward process so yeah that's usually kind of top of the list just to make sure that nothing is okay. missing and then i've also been asked a lot for either copies of the form 11 or copy of it, what's called a chapter four which is basically revenues summary of the um self-employed figures and tax return that you've provided to them for the last couple of years that are in question and are taken into account. So very similar to how you'd be asked to provide a few pay slips to kind of prove your salary if you're on the employee yes. side. When you're self-employed, I suppose the, the bank is looking to get comfort over the income that you've had over the last couple of years and just make sure there's no kind of crazy jumps or dips or anything like that uh, and just see kind of what is this person generating? What are they earning? And yeah, the best way of doing that is presenting maybe your your profit and loss or your income and expenditure account which your accountant will be preparing for you and then kind of backing that up with the form 11 which is the income tax return that gets submitted to revenue uh, once a year or what is called a chapter four i think it's a summary document that basically really high level just says income was this tax payable was this and away you go and because it's you know downloaded from revenue with all their logos and stuff on there it's very ironclad yeah official yeah. document that yeah the broker the bank they'll they look at that and go that that's legit <laughs> yeah i guess it's easy for a normally employed person they're on paye they have their pay slip every month and if you're on a consistent 40 grand a year every month is going to be the same i appreciate for a self-employed person you know there may be variants it may go up and down each month it may be seasonal yep. you may have had a fantastic year this year and you want to capitalize on it by getting a mortgage they i think the rule of thumb is going to look for at least two years of your your form 11 or your chapter four um and go back through those to make sure your business is consistent and you just haven't had a fluke a fluke year selling selling something this year yeah and um, off the back of the last couple of years as well you're going to see a lot of people who've had obviously a bit of a dip off the back of covid and not been able to run their business so yes. you might actually get a couple of banks who could potentially turn around and say well we want to see what was happening before covid because you know hopefully you're, you're going to get back to that position again so like all these documents they live within your revenue your ROS profile and an accountant who or your tax agent should be able to get them for you or if you're doing it yourself they're all in there download them pdf and provide them across to your broker or to your bank and yeah they, they, that should be fine and the only other one thing i've ever seen requested was a list of like charges and payments it was basically just a, again another revenue document to say that you've paid everything over that you have to pay but i think the tax clearance cert okay. would normally kind of trump all of that, that should cover yeah, it. The, right. so all the more reason to have all your ducks in a row and you know have a good accountant on your side yeah. to get everything prepared for yeah, you pretty before much. you can go to the broker. Yeah, and yeah. again, the final thing I think will be you might get uh, requested a letter from your accountant just to say everything's up to date or yeah, just certifying the accounts to say the I prepared these accounts, I'm a qualified accountant or a chartered accountant and these numbers are correct. So again, yeah, that might be asked. But the, once you have those documents, everything lined up, hopefully that will get you over the line. I know we are talking about the buying process at the moment, mm. um, but everyone is buying with a view, perhaps at some point, look, I'm going to sell this house. You want to buy a house that's in good standing uh, that just in case you need to sell it later, mm. maybe people are buying a starter home and they think, look, we'll start here and we'll move up the ladder later. What's the tax implications when I sell my house that I'm living in? Yeah, well, once you only have the one house that you're living in, that that's what's called your principal private residence. And basically revenue don't charge any capital gains tax on, on that. So theoretically, you could buy 
you could have bought a house in Blackrock at the bottom of the crash, uh, let's say for 200 grand, and you could sell it now at the peak of the market for, I don't know, 2 million, making up numbers here. Um, and provided <laughs> that that's your, uh, your principal private residence, there, again, there will be not one cent of capital gains tax to be paid over to revenue. Now, um, the only thing to consider there will be if maybe you went overseas and rented the property out for a while if you weren't living in it if, if you had a second home for whatever reason you moved down the country and it's not your principal private residence you're going to need to do a calculation and uh, pay capital gains tax on the period of time that it wasn't your principal residence but provided you've lived there all along uh, and that's always been your home then you're not going to have any concern uh, while we're talking about tax and revenue, there's one other area that I believe that you, you, you need to be involved in as well. When people are buying a new home and availing of the help to buy scheme, that is a tax back scheme, essentially. How does that work and, and why would they need your help in that? Yeah, so uh, the help to buy scheme, I think it was launched a number of years ago, was it 2017 or something like that. And basically, look, how it works is it only applies to first time buyers. It will apply if you are either buying a new home or if you're self-building a new home. And basically then you have to live in the property for five years after acquiring it or building it. Otherwise there's gonna be a clawback, but basically revenue will give you either 30,000 um, of help to buy, or they'll give you 10% of the value of the home, or they will give you the amount of income tax that you've paid in the last four years. So it's the lesser of those three amounts. And they'll basically yeah, give that to the developer to reduce, I suppose, the amount that you have to pay over uh, on purchasing the property. So there's a good saving to be had there provided it's the first time you're buying and you're buying a new build. Right. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think if you if I identify a new build I want to buy and let's say the deposit is 45,000 euros, uh, you know, they will, you submit it through the help to buy sort of websites. Yeah. It's detached with revenue and they basically look at your tax bill and say, look, yes, you're qualified for the full 30,000 euros. Um, they will pay that 30,000 direct to the developer. Uh, it's come from your taxes that you paid them in the last yep. four years or so. Yep. They'll pay that to the developer and you only need to stump up the 15,000 euros remaining account. Pretty much. It really helps, really helps first-time buyers reduce the, the huge amount of deposit they, they need to accrue up front. It can make a huge difference. Yeah, 100%. Great. So uh, while we're talking tax, is there any other taxes that we haven't talked about when buying or owning a house? Uh, two that jump to mind. One would be stamp duty. So when you're purchasing a house, uh, you're going to pay stamp duty the solicitor is going to sort that out for you uh sorry he won't pay it for you but they're going to tell you what you owe and that one is it's one percent of the value of the property up to a million euro and then if you're buying a property over a million euro it's going to be two percent on anything above the million uh so that one can add up but look bear that in mind you know you're buying a house for let's say half a million there's a 1% charge for stamp duty going on there. So another 5,000. Yeah, uh, look, I keep saying it's, it's 1%. It actually quite is quite low. It used to be 6, 7, 8% back in the boom here. Uh, in the UK, they have a staggered system now. And the agents I know over there are constantly crying that it's too high <laughs> and it's affecting their, their house prices. But you know, 1% is, is negligible, kind of really. You know, uh, 6, 7% would be would be heartbreaking. But you know, it's not too bad. Sure. So I think most people don't moan about it. They understand it is. No, it's kind of a, it's a buried one. Like it, people give out about tax plenty in Ireland and probably rightfully so but that one never gets any kind of and it's probably as you say because it's one percent but i suppose if you've paid some inheritance tax or gift tax on getting you know money together to buy a house it's just another tax that's being paid after you know you've possibly paid the taxes we discussed earlier uh, and then the only other one to consider really is the local property tax and you're going to be on the hook for this for as long as you own the house unfortunately so the owner is liable for it so if anyone is listening and they're a tenant and you're being asked to pay it pushback that should be the owner paying that one mm -hmm. uh, and yeah the local yep. property tax look we all pay it um all, all homeowners pay it and it's based on the value of the house uh, and, and whereabouts in the country it's located um alan this has been brilliant i think you've given everyone such a comprehensive overview not only of the taxes involved but also you know how to to put money together uh, whether it's gifts or, or whatever to, to buy a house so i really appreciate you coming on uh, the show and uh, where can people find you if they want your assistance? Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. And if anybody needs to get in touch or has a question on anything that came up today, uh, please contact me. Uh, the website is www.cloudaccounts.ie or on Instagram, it's at cloudaccountsireland. And I'll get back to you on all questions. There's no question. Uh, I haven't heard before, so so please do ask them. No, I have to say, your your Instagram, you're doing really well. Uh, you know, great answering questions on there, and you're doing regular sort of updates and and uh, videos and things, explaining things to me. You know, that is uh, for me. I'm finding it very helpful. Cool. So everyone else should go give you a follow. Cheers, much appreciated.
Have you thought about mortgage protection? Probably not. It's an often overlooked but essential part of buying your first home. If you're buying with a mortgage, it's a legal requirement to have mortgage protection in place before you can draw down your loan. Many people forget about it until it's late in the day and often just sign up to a standard mortgage protection offered by their lender. I know that's what I did. Beat the Bank could be 40% cheaper than your bank. You can sign up in minutes, completely online, and find policies from just €10 a month. Beat the Bank price match all the top insurers and then get you a discount off the best rate. Niall and the team at Beat the Bank are getting rave reviews from all our followers and our friends. They make things simple for you. No paperwork, no unwanted sales calls, and an end-to-end digital experience. So whether you're about to buy your first home or you already have mortgage protection and life insurance, Go to bethebank.e today and see what you could save. Welcome back. And now it's time for our in, out and away feature. Each week, we're comparing a different area and a property price range to see what you can afford and what your money can buy you. This week, we're getting out of Dublin and we're going to Cork. I've looked at an inner city property in Cork city centre, a second on the outskirts, and a third, some distance from Cork city centre, on the south coast. We have picked the price range of €250,000. We're looking for something entry-level, starter home, uh, that you should be able to afford around Cork city centre and the surrounds. First up, our inn for this week is One Drew's Terrace, Evergreen Street. This is right in the heart of Cork city centre. It's on the market for €245,000. It's an end-of-terrace red brick two-story house. It's three beds and one bathroom, and it extends to 55 square meters, so quite small. For that price, it's in surprisingly good condition inside. Nice kitchen, nice cozy living room. Uh, upstairs, a couple of small bedrooms. None of them are particularly big, and the back garden is only a small courtyard. But you're right in the heart of the city centre. You're two streets back from the River Lee. This is a great central location. You could turn this property into a lovely home. Next for our out property this week, we haven't gone that far, actually. It's only about three miles from the first in property. This is 14 Mount Pleasant Avenue. And just shows, actually, Cork has some fantastic value for money. There is a range of areas and different property types, all within the city bounds. You can actually afford something quite interesting there. This is a four-bed, semi-detached family home. Now, it is in poor condition inside. It looks like it's something from the 60s or 70s in the kitchens, bedrooms, and living rooms. But structurally, it looks sound, and this could make a fantastic family home. Unlike the inn property, this has a fabulous back garden. It's probably about 50 foot long. It's only a BERG rating, so it will need some upgrades. But for 250000 a four-bed, two-bath house, this is a great buy. Finally, for away, we've got out of Cork City and headed straight for the coast. This is Cliffside on the Coast Road in Myrtleville. It's on the market for €250,000. It's a three-bed house, two baths, and it's rated D1. So it's not in such bad order. Inside is a little dated, but you could really upgrade this into a fabulous family home, and it's on the cliff overlooking the coast. This could be a wonderful location for anyone wanting and able to work from home. You could be right on the coastline. You're you're half an hour into Cork City, but look, you have the wilds of the south coast here on your doorstep. So which would you choose this week? Great value for money in Cork. Our inn is a three-bed red brick terrace with a little garden. Out is only a little bit further away in the suburbs. It's a four-bed house with a great garden, but in need of work. And finally, our way is in Myrtleville on the coast. Beautiful potential for this three-bed house. Tell me in the comments and our social media and vote which one you would choose. So for new home versus old home this week, I've picked some fun choices here. Both are in towns just 20 minutes away from Cork. Uh, the first, our new home, is in Kilworth, which is just outside Fomoy. This is just 20 minutes up the M8 from Cork. The scheme is called Monoree. And these are two, three or four bed family homes, newly built and going to be finished in February 2023. Prices start for €285,000. That's probably for a two bed and up to 325000 for a four bed. These are going to be highly energy efficient A-rated homes with air to water heat pumps, underfloor heating and finished to really, really high standard. Kilworth seems a lovely little town with a playground nearby, a school of its own and an easy commute into Fomoy or into Cork itself. Now, our old home this week, now, this may not be a direct comparison, but we found this in McCroom just about 20 minutes the other way from Cork. This is called Fred's Bar. It is a old pub, a licensed premises on the market for €250,000. It has a full pub downstairs and three beds upstairs. And to the rear, there's a large yard and outbuildings. 
This seemed a lovely traditional local Irish pub. You could either restore it to its former glory and leave it upstairs, or perhaps you take the whole building and convert it into a quirky modern home. That's on the market for 250,000 euros. That leaves you some change left over uh, if you're comparing this to the new homes there to bring it up to a standard. So which would you prefer? The brand new A-rated homes in Fomoy or the old pub that you could bring up into a new era? Tell me in the comments on our social media which one you would choose. And so now to our final news stories. This week, it was the budget 2023. So there's a lot of property content in there that's dominating the headlines. First of all, there's going to be a lot more money going into social and affordable construction. That is great. We need a lot more construction of homes for all aspects of the state. However, it's still not enough and they couldn't even spend how much they budgeted for last year, partly due to the lack of initiative, partly due to the lack of available builders, etc. to build all these homes. The government have also expanded the amount of money they're spending on HAP. That's the housing assistance payment that helps private renters afford the high rents in the country at the moment. That is a budget that is ballooning and it is inflating the cost of rents across the nation. Uh, it is something that they can't really get out of right now, but building more homes would help to alleviate that and get people out of private rental. Secondly, good news for new homes buyers. The help to buy scheme was extended again, as we hoped. You can now use the help to buy scheme to get up to 30,000 euros towards the deposit for a new home. Uh, you can use it on top of the first home shared equity scheme as well, if you'd like. There's nothing really there in the budget for buyers of secondhand homes, although a few months ago we did get a new scheme which would help you fund up to 50,000 euros for refurbishment of a, an old home, a derelict home or a house in bad condition. There is a little relief for hard-pressed renters out there. There's going to be a tax rebate of 500 euro this year and another 500 euro available for next year, which would help alleviate you know, half a month's rent for some people, if that. It's a little bit of help, but it's not going to make a huge dent, especially when energy bills this year are going to be so high that could be wiped out in one bill. Speaking of energy bills, we are all going to get 600 euro in a rebate for that as well. Uh, that's going to come, I think, in three 200 euro installments. Again, that's some help. That will be a relief to take a bit of the edge off the high bills that we're expecting this winter. The government have also sought to put in a vacant property tax uh, to try and stop people hoarding land or sitting on land that is not being used productively. Unfortunately, it hasn't gone far enough. It's going to be three times the property tax for a property. That could be a matter of a few hundred euros or even a few thousand euros or 10,000 euros for a bigger site. It's not going to really make a big dent in some of these big developers who are sitting on a hat land that could be used. And it may not even affect people who have a, an old derelict property that is just sat there. They're doing nothing with there are also some exemptions, like if you're trying to sell or rent the land at the moment, uh, that could lead to a lot of loopholes for people to get out as well. Finally, one last thing. The government have attempted to solve the mica concrete block scandal by putting a levy on all concrete products. Um, that's great, but it's only going to increase construction costs that are already very, very high at the moment. Uh, a lot of people in the industry are annoyed by this, and it doesn't really go to tackle those already affected by the mica crisis in the last decade or so. That's it for the news this week. Thank you for tuning in. We've covered savings and mortgages now. Next week, we're going to be launching into the house hunting process, and I'm going to be taking you through my basic tips to get started when you're looking for a home. Tune in, please subscribe, and please follow us on social media at Irish Home Magazine.